Hey everybody, Jay Shlansky here from the Fifth Trooper Network. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out this show. Did you know that over at thefifthtrooper.com we have tons of other content, including blogs, other podcasts, all kinds of stuff. In addition, if you want access to exclusive content, you can join us on patreon.com slash thefifthtrooper and join at any level and you'll get access to uh, exclusive blog articles, access to our private Discord, and much more. So please, Check us out, and thank you so much for all your support. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hi. Four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike Cirillo. What's up? How's it going, man? Long time to see. Yeah. <laughs> we just got back from PAX, which we were both at. So uh, it has been a little bit over, I guess, 48 hours at this point, right? Ish? Yes, it is. Well, 48 hours for me and I think 24 for you, right? Well, Monday, for PAX, but 40, 48 since we've seen each other. Oh, yeah. 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 It was technically Sunday. <laughs> it was technically Sunday. Yeah. Uh, for PAX, this PAX schedule was, um, it was a necessity of how the convention is done. I'll say that. Basically, they don't open until like 10. And then there's there's always a, a big line to get in and you got to go through security. And so the Legion tournament doesn't start until 11 o'clock on each day. Um, and I, for scheduling reasons, it also had to be just like two days. And then also on Sunday, again, for scheduling reasons, I guess they weren't, you know, like they couldn't do more than two rounds on Sunday. Yeah. So PAX closes at six on Sunday. And right. It's yeah. a hard close at 601. You need to be out because they start setting up the next convention that comes in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you like just literally cannot fit a third round in there. Right. So the upshot of that is they had to do four rounds on Saturday. And that's four rounds starting at 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and ending at like 11.25. Yeah, with no dinner break or anything. So <laughs> we we got out on Saturday and it was, I think, about midnight. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're like, man, we're all very hungry. Um, I will spare folks the details, but I will simply say that we got the late night Philadelphia experience, down from the Philly experience. <laughs> I did my best to warn everybody. <laughs> you did. Um <laughs> The food that we ate was delicious. I will say that much. The show was a little, a little intense. <laughs> it was dinner and a show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not the type that you'd want to pay to see. Um. Anyway, uh, don't get me wrong. I love Philadelphia, but um, <laughs> next time I will take your advice and not go out uh, after midnight on a weekend. Um. Okay. Uh. Well, so we're going to talk about PAX. This is going to be like the post-PAX episode. Unfortunately, Mike Barry could not be here. Uh, he's traveling currently. Um, and he also went to PAX. Uh, but uh, you and I are going to talk because we also both went to PAX and played lots of Legion. So uh, we're going to talk about the results generally. You know, people always want to hear about what did well. Uh, there's some broad topics coming out of that as well and then we'll talk about our own personal experiences a little bit because i'm sure people want to hear about those too so uh but before we get to any of that real quick 
we also got an actual reveal of a new card. Um, they previewed a bunch of the... There's actually two news items here. The first is that the Geonosian release date got moved up to January 14th, 16th? Right, I think it's the, it should be the third Thursday or Friday of January. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. anyway, it's the middle of January. Um, Which is awesome. Yeah, 19th, January 19th, I think. I'm like 70% sure that's what it is. Anyway, yes, it's awesome. Uh, there was, I know that people were sad about the large release gap that was um, basically going to be between now and like right before Worlds. It looks like Geonosians got moved up, narrows that gap a little bit. Who knows if other stuff got moved up. I think the next thing on the docket is Inquisitors. Bring them on. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, if you're going to tell me I can play two Force users for 200 points, I, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not denying it. <laughs> um, I, I'm... I have a long history of of force users and force user play. So if yeah, that's what I'm gonna do if that's a thing. Uh, but it's yeah, it's possible that they come out before worlds. It was initially thought that they wouldn't. Uh, this is just us speculating based on the fact that Geonosians got moved up. That maybe other stuff could get moved up. Maybe it's just Geonosians. Who knows? But um, it seems like having Inquisitors before worlds was definitely off the table, and it seems like it's not definitely off the table now it's possibly on the table so they haven't said anything one way or another about it but geonosians being moved up is encouraging regardless because uh it's been a while since we've had new stuff so yeah and it's the third core i'm excited uh but we got we got at least one new card with the announcement and yes for some reason i was under the impression that the one pip that we got from sun fact was new but apparently we've had that for a while yeah, they previewed that one at Mini Strav. Did they? Okay. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the basically one where it gives them a free jump move, mm-hmm. which is which is great. Um, it's interesting in how it's worded. I think it's the only card that I'm aware of that allows a unit to take like an actual action. In this case, it's a free action, but it's still an action outside of their um, activation. I guess maybe uh, deploy the garrison because that's a standby action. It's not just like gain a standby. Um, so there's there's a handful of other cards like this, but most of like the free move cards basically just say like perform a move, not like you know perform the jump action or whatever. So that's a little bit unique. I'm, I'm I think it's worded that way to prevent um, you being able to use it to move geonosians that have objectives. I think so. It keeps which, the weight keeps the weight down um, trigger an effect. Correct. Yeah, which is which is uh, smart. I think otherwise they they're already very good at recover because they can double move and grab. Um, but it would make them even sillier on recover because they could double move and grab on the last activation and then play this card and move away before the turn starts. So <laughs> triple move away. <laughs> yeah, and it's a one pip. Yeah. So uh, there's a good chance that they'd be able to immediately then double move after that. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a good card. I think we've talked about that already when it was previewed at Mini Strav. The thing that we got that's actually new is the other side of the force pike. And I was trying to figure out where this was from because it's not actually in the scenes to stats Sunfac article unless it's like a tooltip or something. But the actual image, as far as I can tell, is not in there. Um, so I, mean, I actually believe it's from an unboxing video from somebody who was able to get their package super, super early. Uh, okay. All right. Which explains the finger covering the top part of the card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yep, there it is, the finger over the card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, 
basically it is it is an overrun weapon it's black white white and it's suppressive like most overrun weapons uh and it's got some unique language on it. It says, when this unit performs an attack action, you may flip this card before the declare defender step. And then notably the other side, which is the melee side, um, which we already saw, but uh, just to refresh people's memory, it's red, black. Um, and when this unit performs a move action, you may flip this card before placing the movement tool. Also suppressive. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of words. It is. Um, um, it's pretty clear, fortunately, though. The time right. is, is yep. very well written. It is, yeah. Um, and the TLDR is essentially anytime you want to move with them, you can trigger the overrun attack if you've not done it yet. And then as soon as you decide that you would like to perform your melee attack, you just flip it and do the same. Yeah, right. Yeah. Any, yeah, that's that's the upshot. Is anytime you want to overrun, you can overrun. Anytime you want to melee, you can melee. Mm -hmm. And you can do the, those in the same turn if you want. Um, I can foresee eventually people shortcutting this and just not flipping the card back and forth. Uh, yes, I was joking it, beforehand that I definitely was not going to sleeve this card. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, taking it out to flip every time, get old. Right. Um, I could see people eventually just being like, I do the overrun attack, I do the melee attack. Because that's this that's what this text allows you to do. It allows you to do either one of those whenever you want to do them. So, um, yeah. I, th I think that concept is cool. Um, the dice on this overrun attack uh, are terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an average of I think one hit per attack, and it's yeah. not even something you can mod with an aim, if I remember correctly. No, not right because it's not a yeah right. Um, so it, uh, is that correct? Because it is still an attack. It's just not a ranged attack, and it's not a melee attack. The few times that I've been overrun by Fluttercraft and it was a luminous turn with Yoda, uh, the they opponent said that they were not able to roll the dice. Okay, well, they so, would know, probably. I would um, assume so. I've never played an overrun unit. Overrun is one of those rules that is rel like obscure enough that most people don't actually know how it works. Um, I'm okay. a little whelmed um, just going off of the dice. But I do think that it's probably better that something like this is a little bit on the softer side. Um, having six overrun units could be slightly oppressive, especially when they get their free moves and if you combo it with a one pip. Um, so I, I think it's a neat tool to have. It essentially gives them a suppressive melee attack, you know, because yeah. if you overrun and then attack, they the opposing unit will take two suppression. Right. So it might make it a little bit harder for them to get aim punched back, which could be useful. Um, but I'm not really sure I want my Geonosians that close to the opponent to begin with a lot of the time. They are very squishy. <laughs> uh, that said, the Force Pike is not that expensive. It's only 15 points. And the unit normally is, what, 40? Yes. Four, 45? Uh, I think it's 45. Um, 45. So, yeah. So, you know, 60 points. I, I mean... It's not as expensive as like the premium core units. It's it's pretty in line with like stormtroopers and rebel troopers, mm -hmm. and they're the same durability basically as rebel troopers. Um, I could see doing this basically to just add an extra miniature, because was, it's only eleven points for the extra body, so you may right. as well add four points for the overrun. The overrun and the and the slightly mm -hmm. better melee profile, yeah. Right. Um, right. 
and you know I, don't get me wrong four points can add up especially if you've taken it like five or six times but it gives you a little bit more flexibility you can use these guys as like a first wave in like a magna guard list you know you've got like six geonosians with pikes and then three magnas and the since they can triple move the the geonosians like tie up and suppress your opponent's units while the magna guards uh, right you know it, it means that you're probably just getting popped by something like a cassian or Iden on the way in with the magna and if you're only taking one wound a turn you feel pretty good about that so that when they hit the melee you're still throwing your full dice complement yeah i could see a list like that working especially mm -hmm. against uh lists that don't have a lot of like opposing melee units yes or even um, lower activation lists like we're seeing with some of the gars because you can still push to a pretty decent act count here so if you can even just wait out the first wave with the Geonosians and almost do like a mini last first of just to engage and at least tie down your opponent, make them force the withdrawal or go early with the Jedi, it seems like a net win. Yeah, you definitely, I will say, uh, the fact that they don't have charge, you know, which means they if they do the triple move thing, they can't soften up their target first. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that they are so squishy, you know, they don't have any defensive attack and they have white saves. There's a lot of just quote unquote like normal units in this game that throw black dice and melee uh you know you charge a unit of stormtroopers or something or rebel vets that have surging black dice you get in melee with them and then they throw five surging black dice back at you um probably with a name because you haven't done at minimum you haven't done your melee attack and there's a good chance you also you know potentially on how far they were weren't able to do your overrun attack um you know like they could reasonably kill like three to four of your six gene oceans on the punch before you even get to do anything. Um, <laughs> so alone hitting something like an arc trooper that has two dice per attack. <laughs> right. Or, <laughs> or pikes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if they have any specialized melee units like Wookiees or Ewoks, forget about it. <laughs> yeah. You're just um, feed them kill points. Yeah. Now that said, their ranged attack at range two, they, they get black white at range two. Uh, mm -hmm. per unit which is the same as black sun um now they don't get the free aims like black sun do but or the free surges you know black sun can take the vigo right. for the surges but still like black white you know that's 12 dice six black six white at range two for a unit with any kind of extra body that's a lot so and you know with the heavier terrain we're seeing with the bigger buildings death from above probably won't be that hard to get it yeah it depends on how they how end up working. ruling yeah yeah um because it's possible that you might need to be on top of like a high two terrain piece to actually yeah. get it to trigger which you know will make it harder for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna wait to see i don't it's not gonna make or break their value but i'm gonna wait to see how that plays out before i order decide to order geonosians i'm starting with one box just to have them on the shelf and then yep. based on a few other tweaks that i'm anticipating coming we'll see we'll see what happens yeah um all right well that was that was our non-packs news oh, item we would be remiss to, we would be remiss to mention um technically as written overrun does not work oh yeah. Yeah, yeah um i would be belligerently surprised if that's not updated by the time that that release that they release because they don't have a notched base correct yeah right now overrun says that it has to be a notched base trooper to use overrun obviously they are not that um i'm sure that by the time they come out either the crb will be updated or there'll be some kind of form ruling that yeah. says we know this is what it says they can still do it <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, 
because it'd be a little bit silly for them to just literally not be able to use one side of that card. Yes, <laughs> I um, find it very unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Shall we t- discuss packs? Yeah. Uh. So, I think let's just open with like what did well. People always want to hear us run through the top eight for these things. So I think we can do that fairly quickly. There's some broad themes here that are noticeable. Yeah. Um, we're not going to go through every single list. I will write an article about it. So uh, if you want to like look at all eight of these in detail, or you're one of these players and you're like, "Hey, they didn't mention me," uh, it just you know, it's in it's going to be in the article. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're not going to like read the standings uh, on the podcast in detail. Um, but uh, so the winner was Sam McHenry. Uh, playing Anakin Padme, and more specifically, this version was an was an eight activation Anakin Padme Pikes, where he basically cut an activation to like give everything situational awareness, including the clones. Yep. <laughs> um, and with the DC clones, um, all of his core had range four access. Right. So he's got like the DC fifteen Captain clones yep. uh, with situational awareness, and then Pikes. Um, yeah so it's it's it, it kind of takes the traditional like anakin list want to be at range three thing and adds a little bit of a you know dc 15s aren't great at range four but they still work at range four which z6s mm-hmm. don't um and that pool is actually pretty good uh with the extra body in there it's oh yeah it's five black and two red with critical uh, one with critical one which is a pretty that's a reliable pool and they usually have aims to mm-hmm. to throw in there so it's not as like you know in your face wombo spiky as like a z6 but it's it's reliable and that critical is nice so yeah, the floor is much higher you don't really see those i've got one hit in a surge rollouts that you can get with the z6 at times yeah yeah um and i like the attack here specifically against like uh th- there's two things actually that it's good against uh a lot of rebel lists that spam critical at long range um because there are a lot of rebel lists that do that with vets and and things like that um but also against like yodelists yodelists rely quite a bit on critical um you know from whether it's uh, echo shots or or fire supported yoda or whatever uh so being able to block crits in those particular matchups like really just takes that already durable anakin padme archetype and turns it up even more from 11 to 12 (laughs) so (laughs) makes it very difficult to get through that first that first wave right Mm. um it's not well, as it's not as killy as some of the other guard lists that we'll talk about. There's yep. there's no saber throw on Anakin. There's no reliable fire support setups outside of command cards. But right. it's very very consistent across the board, and very few of its tacks don't don't leave you rolling like two after cover, three after cover still, which against most lists will will chip you down. Oh sure, yeah, and it's just really difficult to kill anything. Yeah, so <laughs> it's hard to yeah. win when there's eight activations on the other side. Yeah, eight eight crazy durable activations. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, and notably, um so Sam, uh the uh Mike Barry and um Josh Grimmer are uh the, basically the last three winners of major tournaments in the US. That would be Pax, Crucible, and Nova Open. Uh they're all from the same store in DC. So um Whatever training regimen you guys got going on there, nice work. <laughs> it helps when you just play each other. <laughs> sure. I mean, if like, you know, 
and and the final at Nova was um was Sam and Josh. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you find like a good a good group of like consistently competitive players, then you can just play with those guys at at your local. Obviously, that's like an ideal situation, and that's clearly what you know. I, I know Mike has been trying to develop the local legion scene of that store, so I'm sure a lot of this is like a direct result of of him developing that competitive scene. But um, nice job, Game Castle in uh, in DC. So. Um, all right, so there's there's one thing that is immediately noticeable about these top eight. Uh, it would be the faction symbols, wouldn't it be? Yeah, there are only two. There are. We've got five Republic players and three Rebels. Yep. And notably, um, you could argue we have seven different archetypes in the top eight as well. Yeah, I don't think you could argue that. I think that's that's basically true. Uh, and I think that's a positive just generally I know there was uh, I was personally one of the people that was lamenting the internal balance generally uh, within the factions um, before this I think at least with Rebels and Republic Pax had demonstrated to me that maybe that's a little bit there's a little bit more diversity there than I originally thought Um, so do you want to run through just what you mean by like seven different archetypes? Sure. So I'll start, I'll go with the Gar since that's what I brought. And yep. um, obviously you're one of the rebels. Yep. Um, so obviously with Sam, we had the Anakin Padme bikes. Uh, our third with Mike Barry with dashes, we had the Yoda with a uh, Cody. Um, we also had another Yoda at sixth with John Grizz. Uh, seventh place with Pat, Pat Balco. We had an Anakin without Padme, but it was Anakin fives clone commander full arcs. And then um, I'll say the Dark Horse star of the tournament, uh, Richard Lavery, uh, had the Wookiee Battle Force with no Force user and just a whole lot of fur. So we weren't seeing just the Yoda Padme list win or just the Anakin Padme list win. We saw four very different styles of lists all come together to destroy quite a few units along the way and post a pretty good record. You know, all all of these lists have 2,200 plus uh, points destroyed across their games so they weren't just eking out victories yeah except sam ironically uh, yes <laughs> but yeah and he said uh, you know that's part of his strategy too basically is he like he'd kill a unit and then be like all right you know what are you gonna do <laughs> now you've got to kill um, me and that's just not gonna happen right yeah. um so uh yeah i mean this is for even the anakin lists as you noted were very different Anakin list. Anakin Padme Pikes plays very different than like an Anakin clone gun line. So, and I, I guess I should have mentioned the Anakin Padme Pikes is barrier Anakin, and then the clones is saber throw Anakin. So one is very much the I'm going to get in your face. I have fives. I have clone commander, and I'm triggering I mean, fire supports frequently. Right. And even like Mike's Yoda list, he switched it up a little bit this time and dropped an arc unit for Cody, which is also different than like the quote unquote traditional. We say traditional. It's only been a thing for like a month, really. But uh, Yoda gunline. So, and he said basically that it it was a lot better than he expected. I played against him. I can talk about it. He was my only loss. I can talk about our <laughs> game when we get to that. And I can contest that Cody was better than I expected him to be because he's basically like Bosk, right? He's got a range four attack. Unlike Bosk, he only has four dice. But he surges crit. 
And uh, also, unlike Bosk, he has access typically to a silly amount of AIM tokens. Every turn. So, every turn. Not just one. Not just on lying <laughs> and wait. Yeah. So you can kind of just like charge him up with AIMs and fish for crits with like four or five AIMs. And you're, he's also got lethal. So yep. you're probably going to get like three to, you know, three to four aim for three to four crits, even if you're just shooting with Cody. And then, uh, of course, if you can manage to like fire support him with a Z6 or something like that, that entire pool has surge crit. Right. So, <laughs> and fire supporting something with, you know, that's one thing Yoda lists do really well is because of guidance, you can put your phase ones in unexpected spots to do fire supports that your opponent thought they were safe from. So. Yeah, Cody is uniquely good as well in like aggressive negotiations because you can do what you're just mentioning there. If you just authoritative him the order, you have the phase one move up with the speed one. Cody takes an aim. Now it's like, all right, I've already got at least one aim on the fire support shot and you've done nothing else. It's, yeah, a, it's a pretty deadly combination. Yeah, probably at least two because you can get free tokens with aggressive negotiations. Right. Um, if you don't take the move, you know, if what you need is right. already in position. So, and it's on two pit priority. So it's not exactly a slow card. Right. Yeah. Uh, he did say that he would have rather had the arcs in his loss, which was against Sam, because of Sam's list was so well constructed to deal with crits. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that makes sense. So, you know, maybe the conclusion there is to just not take Cody because the Yoda gun line is already like more than enough to deal with the other stuff, typically. Uh, if, if, you know, depending on how you play it, obviously, but. Um, it's one of those things where it seems like it kind of makes you win more in mashups that you already could sort of handle, and then uh, replacing the arc makes you struggle a little bit in those situations where, like, you know, you need to kill stuff that has situational awareness or some other way to deny crits. Yeah, it doesn't. So. It doesn't really strike me as a mirror cracker, right? Against a, another well-tuned garless, they'll probably have a way to deal with it. Yeah, I can see it being good against like other Yoda gun lines that also don't typically take situational awareness because you're spamming those crits at longer-ish range. You've got the lethal for the pierce. Um, so I, I could actually see it being specifically good in like the Yoda mirror. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're facing an Anakin Pikes that spams situational like Sam was, or if you're facing like a Pike Shadow Collective gun line, obviously that has a ton of situational awareness, I could also see that being an issue. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and then the rebels. I'll talk about the rebels because I was one of them. Uh, and I, <laughs> I guess I brought something that was a little unorthodox in that, um, I brought Han. Which, um, actually, two of the top eight lists had Han because one of them was Bright Tree Village. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I still had Cassian. I still had Vets. So it's not like I was like really breaking the mold here <laughs> but um basically it's a cassian han gun line uh with chewy and i also took some full commandos which i can talk about when i get to my experience but that was i think my favorite part of this list um the other two rebels were completely different you had ryan slowowski with echo base uh, and it was a tauntaun echo base not your typical like fd uh, you know, obviously you still have and play hold at any cost because it's still great on the vets, but it's not like a it's not like a gunline echo base. It's a in your face tauntaun echo base. Right. So Taun it was it was three tons, one FD. So it still retains a little bit of the range poke with the vets with the FDs, but you still have the the triple tons that we saw terrorize Legion a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
and transponders now. Yeah, and mechanically, you know, they're not really that much different than they used to be. Uh, they're just a little more expensive, but um, Echo Base has a lot of tools to, I think, make them make them great again. So, mm -hmm. and I think Ryan proved that. So nice job, Ryan, bringing Tauntauns again for the first time and succeeding with Tauntauns for the first time in like three years. Uh, and then the other rebel was Chris Lewis, who brought the 14, 14 activation Bright Tree Village list. And I, I played him in my last game, so I can talk a little bit more about this too when we get to our games. But that's I'm a lot of Ewoks. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because Chris and I played in the the 2B, 3, and 0 at our last store championship game, and he was also playing this 14-act uh, stuff. And I'm I'm curious to hear how your experience relates to mine from Rebels to a clone perspective. <laughs> okay. it definitely is a unique style of Legion. It's, yes, it is. It's very different than most games that you would play. I also played against a Wookiee spam list, and it, it had a similar feel to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll talk about those when I get to my my games. Can I can um, I plug my own cast from part of the network now? Please, yeah. Okay, so you, whether um, you're, uh, yeah, I mean, we always, <laughs> whenever sure. we have people on, we like we like for them to plug stuff. So so, so please. And if you're interested to hear more about um, Chris's Ewoks and Richard's, um, I'm blanking on the name, Kashyyyk Defender Battle Force. Yeah. Um, both Chris and Rich will actually be on Legion 99 with us on this Saturday, so we'll drop it next week. Um, so we're going to talk to them about their experience with two very differently constructed melee skews and kind of how they went about their tournaments so two very furry melee skews two very furry melee skews um with a whole lot of activations and wounds across the two of them but yeah and, and i understand they actually played each other they did so i think i think richard basically knocked uh, chris out as far as i, I understand think that's so, yeah. yeah which i guess kind of tracks when you think about like a bunch of battle shield wookies facing off against a bunch of ewok skirmishers yeah, when they're it, throwing like the same amount of dice, but the Wookiees have more consistent dice and they have more wounds, um, I, I would think they would win there. And the but, and the armor one, so, and armor one, yeah. yeah. But uh, we'll uh, we'll let them talk about it and right. Hopefully, get some good insights from it. Yeah, obviously the Ewoks, I think, have more shenanigans. You know, they do. The, the Wookiee list is very, the Wookiee list is very just punch you in the face. And, uh, and he did quite well with. 33 62 kill points across his games I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's over 550 a game that's a silly number <laughs> over uh, six games <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i've ever seen a number like that over six games actually uh, i don't think i have yeah yours wasn't too far behind but was mine was pretty high off. yeah yeah i was at 2753 um which that was a lot higher than i expected which i can yeah. talk about <laughs> uh, yeah all right so do you have any further thoughts on well, I, okay. I have not to on the top eight. Oh, not yeah. on the top eight specifically, but um, we were talking a little bit about potential faction balance, and yep. I'm not really sure that showed up across the rest of the factions. Uh, <laughs> we had more battle forces present in the top eight than any other faction represented in the twenty-five top twenty-five. Yeah, there were two empire in the top twenty and two droids. Um, uh, two empire in the top twenty-two. Yes. So top twenty-two. Okay. Yeah. Next empire was twenty-third. Um, now they were ninth and thirteenth, so very respectable placings. Um, I know Evan was running the Tempest Force, and I think Matt Hall was as well. There's actually a lot of Tempest Force Empire at this event. Yep. Um, and then outside of one tenth place CIS placing, um, 
the next was 25th. So <laughs> now there weren't a lot of CIS. I believe there are only nine, seven or nine yeah, there weren't signups. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not totally unexpected, but it's not great. Um, and it did take the experimental droid battle force to make it to the top 10. So it's, yeah. it's not even vanilla CIS. Yeah. And I think there is something to that battle force, but uh, yeah, it's not great. Somebody posted somebody on the discord went through manually and did like the win loss numbers. Um, we will eventually there will there should be a way to not have to do this manually eventually but somebody like combed through a game up link and looked for this so this notably does not exclude mirror matches typically when you do faction win rates you want to like cut out the mirror matches because those just add noise to the data right? right if you have a empire player playing against another empire player that's not going to tell you anything about the faction balance right it's going to bring everything closer to 500 Correct. Yeah, it brings that win rate closer to 50% right. by including those mirrors. So take these for what you will, but we had Republic. First of all, there were I think almost half the field was Republic. Yeah, so about so, 40 about 44% of the field was Republic. Yeah. So which is interesting because if that's a lot of mirrors, this number is even crazier. Uh, um, I was going to let you say it before I brought up the, <laughs> okay. the little asterisk that we have next to it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know what? I'm going to save that one for last. Okay. All right. I'm going to Empire. start from the bottom work up then? Yeah, let's start from the bottom. And so bottom actually would be Empire, 26 and 40. Uh, that is not a good win rate. No. And that and gets Empire worse was probably second, when you... Second highest represented faction. Um, so there's a decent chance that there are some mirrors included in there. Yeah, and I think I think I said on our PAX predictions episode that I thought Empire was going to do poorly. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take that to the bank and say I told you so, because when Republic is good, and more specifically when arcs are good, Empire has problems. Yes, And I think that bore out in in this tournament. Another thing, too, is that when people are attacking to deal with clones by doing things like bringing a lot of Pierce, that also works against Empire. Yeah. <laughs> so... But Empire doesn't have the dodge access to the clones. Right. And there were a few people that also teched heavy armor against the Yoda lists. And a lot of the Empire lists that showed up didn't have reliable sources of impact as well. And Boba Fett's not as prevalent. So they even struggled into some of the armor lists as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double whammy. Yeah. It's not a good storm. No. And well, I, I didn't see how many like, you know, quote unquote, conventional, like obviously bounty hunters are still good. Bosk seems like he should be good into into clones. So does Aiden. I didn't I didn't test that out myself, but so I don't know how many people were actually running that versus running trying to trying to do like you know break break the mold with Empire. I don't know, but it's not a good number. No, <laughs> we'll see. This is kind of new. Obviously, Empire's been doing great for most of the year with the current balance change situation. So. We'll see if this is like a blip or if this continues to be a trend. But sure. Uh, coming up next, we actually had CIS. Um, like you said, there were not a lot of players there. They actually only ended up 11 and 15. Yeah. Yeah. These other three are all pretty close to 500, right? Droids right. 11, 15, Rebels 33, 35, and Mercs 16 and 12. So the, the Rebel one actually interests me quite a bit um, because we had three in the top eight. So we have at least 15 wins 
represented amongst those three. Yep. Um, and that's half your wins. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting point. <laughs> so it, it, if you go off of those numbers there, and there's a few rebels that were just outside of the top, uh, top eight as well. We had a, a 15 placing, but then after you hit 15, the next rebel is 33. So it appears that the rebels either did very, very well or not so hot. There wasn't a whole lot of middle of the pack rebel play. Yeah. So, right. So if those top three rebels were five and one. That means the rest of the field basically was 15 and 30, roughly, right? Yeah, yeah which is not good. After 15th, it drops to 27, 33, and then it's 30s. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Like, it's easy to look at that number and be like, Rebels are fine, they're close to 500, but when three three players are accounting for like half those wins that maybe that's not as good but as we said three different archetypes so it's very possible that you just need to be playing a certain style and there might be certain styles that work but i'm not sure you can just show up with any rebel list and have a good time that, you have to put a little bit more work into it that's definitely true uh okay so republic well we did have shadow collective oh i'm sorry yeah, yeah. shadow collective <laughs> 16 and 12 solid yeah it's good. You know, there weren't that many. I played against the Black Sun list, which I'll talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Shadow Collector is good. Pikes are good. Black Sun are good, generally. So, Bosk is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and Gar is good. Yeah. So 75 and 54 is the Gar number. I don't, I don't know how many of those are mirrors, but all the mirrors would do is, is bring it even further up. I played away three of them in four games, so I know there were a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's effectively like a 66% win rate or something close to it. Um, it's probably closer to 70 or 75% once you remove mirrors. If somebody that is listening to this wants to, like, go through the <laughs> matches and remove <laughs> the mirrors and give us updated numbers, you know, we'd love that. Um, but I know that's a lot of work, so... <laughs> I'll see how uh, slow my work day is tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um I I mean Republic's good. Yeah. We've talked about this on the cast. There's they've had some, I think, at the time that they were made, they've had some necessary buffs. Uh, but the a lot of the rules updates have kind of like indirectly helped them almost exclusively. Uh, you know, the past mechanic, um, the cover rules, simply because when you increase the amount of cover, it makes things that bypass defensive tech which generally have small dice pools um and things that have like pierce which is something that would bypass defensive tech those tend to have small dice pools pierce and high velocity weapons so that bounces off the cover it makes defensive tech better right because you know so you have people always ask like well why are red saves better when everyone has cover wouldn't that make white saves better it's not just the red saves it's it's the dodge spam and the things like barrier like say you have you know between barrier and let's say you just have like three dodges which is not that many dodges, really. It's not that that's, hard to make three dodges. <laughs> right. That's that's like five points of negating hits, right? If you're shooting... Have... Sorry. Yeah. So if you're shooting into no cover, the average like core unit with a heavy dice pool is like roughly four hits, right? So one shot into cover, and you've basically like cleared their defensive tech for the turn, right? 
but uh, if you're shooting into cover, that first shot, you know, cover takes off two, and then you've only got two hits left. You only clear like two of the five or six bits of defensive tech. Then the second shot, you know, you clear two more, say, but then they still got one, maybe two left. So it takes you like two to three shots to clear that defensive tech. And during that time, they're building up more of it, recovering barrier, taking more dodges, yep. whatever. You're also rolling so, at a 66% save rate so that anything that does actually make its way through is even unlikely to do a wound if you don't have pierce. Right. So whereas against white saves, if you can actually clear hits past the cover, you're banking those as wounds. <laughs> um, so that's a long way of saying like cover makes everything more durable, which makes durable things more durable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, the pass rule, the cover rules. I think those are the biggest two. There are yeah. other minor things like the choke nerf. The deflect nerf. The deflect nerf. Because um, none of the guard Jedi are hit by it. Right. Uh, it's just been like a lot of small things that add up over time. So, yeah, interesting. Like, I don't want to say collateral, but I feel like uh, none of those changes were intended to buff Gar, but obviously they have. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, okay. Do you want to talk about our own personal experiences? Yeah. So uh, I can start first because I ended up actually just dropping after day one. Um, okay. Just wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, played my games. Uh, so I played. I played a Yoda Padme list. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up going with the Clone Commander version. So I had Yoda with Yoda, Clone Commander, Naked Padme, and then the standard core of RPS D six Phase Two Mortar. And then I made the tweaks in going with a full arc Echo and a full arc DC fifteen. And instead of the strike, I had the Clone Commander. Okay. Um, my big change is on Yoda. I had Barrier Push and Battle Meditation. So I skewed going for forest guidance to get better flexibility for the two pit. Um, because I had bolster two on the clone commander, I still have the same number of surges every turn. The yep. timing is just different. Mm -hmm. um, the timing is actively worse. Um, it required a lot more setup and a lot more play to make sure that it does work. Um, but I considered battle meditation to be a mirror cracker um, in that it gives me every time that I play the two pit three full arc shots with aim support every turn and one of them is guaranteed to be fire supported and there's really not a lot of lists that can hold up to that um That's, it, yeah it, it did very well at getting into the other yoda mirrors um except for my first opponent who was playing double saber tank oh. double secret mission dodge castle um yeah. saber tank is outmaneuver yeah and his line of sight blocking uh-huh um so he played a very strong let me start from the beginning. So he played that list. It's got okay. two portable scanners. Yep. It's got perfect order control in the tanks because it does have a comms relay, a clone commander, and then Padme. So mm -hmm. there's always a way to get both of them in order, um, no matter what command card was played. Uh -huh. um, and it also had R2 to pull off some wounds when you finally do get it through to the tank. It also had a small bid, which meant I was playing its deck. Um, mm. And none of its objectives were good for me. So it has a lot of very mobile objectives, forces you to move, wide deployments, the typical secret mission crap. Um, so we ended up playing payload, which I think ended up being a mistake. Uh, I ended up losing this game five, three, uh, on payload. Neither of us lost an activation. Um, and that was not because we didn't shoot at each other. So we both rolled about 75% on our saves, which was ridiculous, uh -huh, but not yeah. uncommon. Yep. And 
I had the choice between bombing run or payload when the flip came up, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to play bombing run against the tanks in R2, and I think this ended up being a mistake. So I chose payload and chose to try to do a, a bit of a wider deployment so that I could try to catch something from behind the tanks um, and then kind of just move away as they had to chase me. Uh, but I forgot until halfway through the first turn, the tanks were lying sight blocking. Um, and I wasn't able to kill either tank. I got both of them down to about four wounds remaining, but I just couldn't crack the dodges with Padme. Um, and what I should have done in hindsight and what I talked to Josh Grimmer about, who ended up playing him later, is we needed to essentially turn it into a skirmish and just make the tanks come to us, keep it in a three by three, and just basically say that I'm going to save as well as you are, but I can get into your side, I can get Yoda close, we can use the lightsaber. Um, and I should have done that on on payload instead, and unfortunately I didn't. No one died and we moved on. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to fall for that again, um, but it was a good, good test. Uh, I was rewarded for the loss with um, playing Josh round two, actually. Um, <laughs> so I got to play nearly an exact mirror. Uh-huh. Um, Josh was also playing the full arc echo clone commander with the same core setup. Okay. Um, the only difference between our list was he had guidance and I had battle meditation. Uh, and we had the new tiebreaker rule come up. I shouldn't say new. We had the house made PAX tiebreaker rule come up. Uh, okay. So you're both at 800 points. Uh-huh. So when we got to the table, we rolled off for red and blue, and then we rolled off to see who would win the tie. Um, I got red player, and I got ties win. Okay. So I picked my board edge, and both of us were aware of the fact that if nothing died, um, I won the game. So I wasn't a huge fan of this. Um, I appreciate that everyone was made aware before the tournament started of this is how it's going. Okay. So assuming you're a the player who reads the packet, pays attention to the news, you knew what was happening. Um, so I think that was great. There was no confusion. I do wish that we just did a random roll-off at the end of the game for ties, um, or just let it be a tie, because it really changed how we went about turn zero um, and how we picked the battle cards. When the cards flipped over, both of us knew who was winning, and we saw in the middle we had VAPs and we had hostage exchange on two and three, and we flat out said to each other, we're trying to interact this game, right? And we said yes. So we ended up playing key positions instead. So that was in the first slot. Um, so neither of us banned an objective, and both of us just worked on deployments and conditions because we didn't want to let that rule essentially determine our game. Okay. Um, so it didn't feel great to artificially change how we do turn zero in the battle card selection. Um, I would like to just kind of do a roll off at the end and just make it randomness. If one of you wants to let it get to the point that a die roll decides your game, then so be it. Um, but I'm, I am glad that there was clarification beforehand. I think that is the best way to go about it. Uh, but anyway, into our game. Um, well, we'll hang you. on. I, I want to talk Sorry. about that real quick because I feel like um, I, it's, it's worth discussing that sure. just as a concept. I know we've talked about draws on this podcast a lot in the past i think there's sort of broad agreement that the concept of a draw is problematic for a variety of reasons it's awkward for tournament structure especially ones where there's eliminations uh but also for swiss because if you go x and o and one that suddenly makes pairings weird and it's there's a lot of swiss tournaments where it's basically going to be like a loss right because someone's going to go six and oh right because you need the x and o to essentially be the winner Right. The X, o and, and <clears throat> right. Y. Uh, so it's just awkward for that. It, it also creates this awkward 
like in-game dynamic where at least in my experience instead of having both players like wanting to go at each other because neither of them want to draw you get like both players kind of afraid to do anything because neither of them want to have a unit eliminated yeah <laughs> um so it, you know instead of instead of like i know there was discussion when this first came out where it's like oh well both players will be the attacker this will be fine and in my experience the way it plays out is both players mentally sort of end up like you get like two defenders um so that i think i think the draw concept is problematic I, th I think that this was specifically designed to address the second part of that where like there's the role confusion essentially um I'm not sure that I don't, I don't think that this is a, the solution. I'm not sure what the solution is. You know, and I mean, ideally, I guess you tie it to player color again so that if you want to bid for the tie break, and I'm not saying you make it blue, maybe you make it red, but if you tie it to player color, you at least give somebody a choice over who gets the tie break. And then you don't have this weird, like, what happens if both players are at 800 kind of a thing. Um, so anyway, uh, it's just, it's awkward. I don't, I don't think that what happened at PAX was the solution. I understand why it could be problematic in its own way. Um, but it does seem like there's some consensus that there needs to be some way to sort out how to resolve draws. <laughs> so. yeah, especially because um, if you look at the lists that are taking 800 points, um, it's a lot of gunline style lists and these are the defensive style i'm going to poke i'm going to prod i'm waiting for someone to make an error i'm waiting for someone to step forward and if no one ever does it the likelihood of two republic gunlines drawing are a lot higher than two we'll say chic defenders at 800 drawing that need to get close to each other and right if this is the the meta that a lot of the rule changes over time have kind of formed into create it's a situation that is happening often and needs to have an answer for yeah and I, I think i think their objective with this was to increase interaction and uh you know if that's what they're going for i'm not sure that that's what's happened agreed so anyway continue i just yeah. wanted to hit that real quick i didn't have any Sorry personal experience that. with that at pax because i had a 798 list so it never came up for me but i could see if you're running an 800 point list how it would be awkward um, this is actually my only 800 point mirror. The other okay. ones all had bids. So okay. it only came up this one time, which is why I think it felt significantly different than the others. Okay. Um, so like I said, not a huge fan. I do appreciate the clarification, but I didn't like it. Yep. Um, I did like how the game went. Okay. Um, and ended up actually ending on like turn four uh, because I was able to do said three full arc shot and a fire support and essentially crack down his echo squad and half of the z6 where when none of mine took wounds um and when we're playing key positions and he's got to walk across the middle to get or i'm sorry walk across an open spot to get to the middle and now the biggest heavy hitter is gone and i can then churn into luminous right after doing this again um barring crazy variants it just doesn't it doesn't go very well um you know we we positioned pretty close it was major offensive so i deployed in my little three by three box uh josh took a little bit more of the panhandle so we were a little close together but he was able to take advantage of, of some good terrain pieces down there um and then you know clone gun lines hit each other and i was just able to shoot with more pierce because of the because of the battle meditation um so it worked out rather nicely 
Um, one of the downsides to that card is that when you do the orders on both arcs, Yoda's in the bag. Hmm. Um, but with the clone commander, you have two commanders, one operative, two core. So it's really not that bad, and you don't have to give the order to the arc. You can still do Yoda. Right. But it's super easy to play Luminous, turn two, set up your army as you want it, drop the two pip. There is no try to do the double arc turn three as it's already preset. And then you get Luminous back anyway, and then you just play it again turn three. So even if you need to hang an arc out or if Yoda is a little bit off plan, he's not attacking next turn anyway. And all of a sudden you have your token generation right back up. So it, it trades a little bit of instability on the turn to just present an overwhelming shot. Um, and then game three, I was rewarded with another Yoda mirror. Um, <laughs> I played, this was more of the traditional one. So it was uh -huh. Yoda Padme with the two full arc, one echo strike. Um, I played Tyler from the Florida man gang. Okay. Um, wonderful player. We've been at the last like six tournaments together and finally got to play. Um, he had a little twist though. Instead of the phase two mortar, he actually had boil and he had targeting scopes on the arcs. Okay. So it didn't really come into play all that much in our game um, because with clone level dice pools, pulling one away doesn't do a whole lot when it's either I'm rolling four or I'm rolling five. Yep. Um, so it was, I think it probably would have been good against some of the, some of the rebel lists, but it didn't really come into play here. Uh, we played key positions again, um, advanced positions, and were weary, and I kind of went a little, little cold in the middle of the game. Uh, I left him on four single unit leaders that I just could not finish off, uh, and he was able to take the middle point three to one at the end. Um, it's kind of the exact same format. We set up on those diagonals. We just traded range four barbs turns one through three. Turn four, we engaged. We rolled some dice. Uh, I couldn't kill what I needed to kill. Um, he couldn't kill what he needed to until the very end. And unfortunately, we just kind of kind of diced off for the end. Wasn't a whole lot that really really happened there. Um, battle meditation was great. Um, unfortunately, the arc swift and I couldn't kill a unit on that turn. Um, they rolled like eight paint total across three attacks with aim support. So it was a little, little rough. Um, but I just couldn't shoot through the unit leaders. Uh, Tyler ended up taking it there. The echo strike was nice for him. He could kind of sit back at the home KP and just pop the long range uh, lethal shots. Um, so I really had to waste barrier on echo quite a bit. Um, so I, I really missed him in that aspect of the mirror. But the order control with the clone commander in the direct let me get some really good shots to chew down his RPS squad and things of that nature. Um, I do think that I'm going to stick with what I have for the Yoda one. Stick okay. with some battle meditation for a while. Uh -huh. um, I think I played pretty poorly in game one. Um, I think I could have played better in three and just swat, took taken advantage of the positioning better. Um, but I really do think it's better in the mirror. Um, because when I got to game four and played my first non-gar list, I played a shadow collected list on Long March Recover. And by the end of turn four, there is only two units left on the table. Um, and I had all of mine in the center on the center KP and had three boxes. So it was very difficult to, to crack into. And the clone commander let me get fire supports on the RPSs. Um, but anyways, I'm sorry. Game four, I did a, it was played against some shadow collective. It was a two times Mando, double black sun, double pike, capo, medic bus, and gar Saxon. I uh, had a seven point bid. Um, it's battle deck was really strong. 
saw mobile objectives, long objectives. Yep. Um, and I ended up trying to force him down to to recover the supplies and hope that I could guidance and pick up some boxes. Um, it was in the fourth slot, so it was pretty easy to get to. Fortunately, um, he didn't want to play key positions, so right. bumped it down right away. It was nice. Yep. Um, I wouldn't want to play key positions against the Yoda gun line either. No, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, cool. I've got three bands here. Yep. <laughs> Um, so we set up for some long march and I essentially just scouted the arcs forward turn one and decided to just drop Luminous off the bat and try to engage the middle box as quickly as possible. Um, so I ended up going Luminous, there's no try into Luminous. Uh, and it's not really enough dice on the Shadow Collective side to hold up against that. Um, but I was able to get two back-to-back Echo RPS fire supports off with the Clone Commander. Bus died relatively quickly to that. And then over the next two turns, I just directed the Mortar, so I suppressed his other stuff when it was fire supporting echo yet again um and then anything that was left couldn't really move uh and it was it was essentially just like a dice gun line something hit w yoda hit shoot and just didn't go very well um i was surprised that gar saxon wasn't as good uh into the yoda list as i thought because he does have long shot he's got the range one the four rifle he's got the high velocity it's got some pierce to it um but there wasn't enough ways to get aims on him yeah. Um, you know, without the tactician on the bus because it's not super great, and without a lot of command cards that give him aims, he couldn't really generate the the crit the crit rolls that he needed to on the rerolls because he, he had to keep them away. So it was the range five long shot, and then it's like, oh, one crit. And I was like, okay, barrier or two crits, and you barrier one and you just lose the other. So I was I was a little let down there. I think it was a little unfortunate that it, that was the matchup. Um, but that was my final game. Um ended up going home afterwards. It was a it's a long day and night Saturday, and yeah. uh, I wanted to get home to my actual bed because uh, I only yeah. have like 45 minutes from the city. Okay. So I, I learned what I needed to. I think I'm going to stick with this list for a while. Um, it's definitely what I'm planning to play for Worlds. Um, I don't really have another event until Golden Sprue in the end of January up in Schenectady. So I'll try to get some store tournaments in in the meantime, but I want to refine this a little bit more. I'm not sure that I'm going to switch to the Cody option, though Battle Meditation on Cody and a full Echo sounds pretty nice. It does. Um, the, the redundancy of the two full arcs is, I think, too good with the the setup that I have. I lean a little less more into the Dodge Castle and more into the I'm just going to outshoot you with the with the Battle Med and, and Echo in the full arc, and I think I'm going to keep it that way. Play some yeah, that, style more. Yeah, and like you said, at this point, you're kind of tweaking for the mirror. Mm-hmm. I And the fact that you and Mike both went into this tournament with that in mind to experiment with that, I think is sort of telling as far as the overall strength level of the list. Right. Because mm-hmm. once you have a list and you're basically like the, my primary objective now is to figure out how I can win the mirror better. That should tell you something about how good it is. Right. I, uh, I have not played as much as Mike um, recently, but I have not yet lost to a non gar opponent with this list. Um, so I'm fairly confident that any of the tweaks that it has, I'm still pretty good against the other factions. Um, it's more of tweaking so that I can beat myself and beat the Anakin. Because it, it's got enough dice for Ewoks. Um, I'm pretty sure it does for Wookiees. I haven't run into the seven of them yet, but we shall see. It, yeah. did, it was 3-0 at the last store championship, so I, I was pretty pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'm going to have to give it a try. in between now and Worlds, just for science... You're going to have fun. <laughs> that's what everybody tells me. It, you know, it's uh, back in the day when I played Palpatine. Um, I was, I mean, Palpatine like totally spoke to me. 
I, I think the meta's moved on from him a little bit, which is unfortunate. But Yoda's kind of like, I mean, it's a very similar concept, right? It is. So I think that I would love it. <laughs> um, I'll have to, you know, we got a few months, so I'll have to try it. We'll see. Uh, I did love what I actually took to PAX. I'm not sure it's better than the Yoda list. And in fact, Mike playing Yoda is the one that I lost to. That was my one loss. Um, I'll talk about that game. I'll save that for last, probably. Just generally, the list, basically, it was Cassian K2, Han Chewie. So double teamwork. I'm sure there's a list name idea in there somewhere. After I submitted, I thought of teamwork makes the dream work. Um, <laughs> but I ended up going, I hope I can still play Rebels because I have not played a single game, tournament or otherwise, with, with Rebels since 2021. Um, so it's been two years since I've played a, any any one game with Rebels. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I think I did well enough to at least answer that question. But it was so it was the the you know Han Cassie and Chewie K2. Um two vets with the CM93, just one MK2, because I also had a unit of Ewok skirmishers. The reason that the Ewok skirmishers are in there is for reckless diversion. Basically, you stick one Ewok model out there and you give throw the rest of them behind line of sight. You play reckless diversion on them, assuming you position them correctly, which I did not in my game against Mike. Uh your opponent has to shoot them. And the most they can do, even if they've got a 20 dice fire support, is kill one Ewok model at a time because of the casualty removal rules. And that Ewok model that's out there can still stay out there the whole time. Um, you know, you don't have to pick them up like you used to have to. So, um, yeah, basically they're good for five. You don't want them to kill the entire unit, so you stick the non-unit leader out there. But they're good for basically like the first, in theory, the first five shots of the turn and just eating basically half a difference worth of shots that's wild yeah i never like i'm unclear if i want to commit to that gimmick i never really set up like the perfect scenario with that just based on like where the line of sight blockers were it, it was harder to set up than i thought it would be let's put it that way i did use reckless diversion in every game and it was good in every game in like the traditional way it's good where your opponent just has to target the stuff that they don't want to and that was usually the Ewoks, right? Because they're it's a cheap unit with six wounds and low profile. So even if you're not doing the one wound gimmick, it's still like it's something that's not threatening, or at least not threatening on the turn that you play that card. It's something that's hard to damage, and it's something that has a lot of wounds. So it's still like an ideal reckless diversion target. So I, I used it in a more traditional way to just, you know, make my opponent shoot something that they didn't want to shoot. And also to reckless diversion is great for forcing uh, split fire. Because there are a lot of, like, even if you just look at the core heavies, right, there are a lot of core that are range three and have a heavy that's range four. Well, if you position it correctly and you've got, like, the stuff that they would want to shoot in range three and your Ewoks or whatever else is a little behind them at range four, then they're basically forced to, to split fire. They throw, like, the normal guys range three guns at your front line and they have to throw the heavy weapon by itself at the Ewoks and then not do really any meaningful damage to either thing. So... That's like the quote-unquote traditional way to use Reckless Diversion, and that's mostly what I did with it. So I think it'd probably work almost as well with a unit of Rebel Troopers, and then I could spend the five points that I spent on Underworld Connections with Han on Improvised Orders instead, which I think would have been more generally helpful. 
Yeah, you have a lot of different ranks in your pool. Yeah, it's a little awkward. And there's there's also turns where... So tip, I infiltrated Cassian every time so that I was always guaranteed to be able to pull K2 before Cassian So because they were both operative tokens, just in case, you know, a lot of times you do like the K2 charge up Cassian with aims to guarantee two crits thing. Um, so Han was only ever the single commander token and on turns where you don't give him an order, which is you know for cassian's command card turns like it's not ideal to have him in the bag because you generally want him to go last or near the the last part of the turn so he can do like a last steady shot so it'd be nice to be able to throw that back i also had uh so in addition to all that i also had two full commandos and then a commando strike team the commandos were great full commandos uh it's 76 points for that I mean, their dice pool is not that much different from full arcs. It's, it's a white die instead of a red, essentially. Right, but, but they surge to hit, and they they pierce natively, so they don't have to spend a name on lethal. Now, obviously, you can't fire support them unless somehow you get an order to your MK2. Uh, but you can't like do wombo fire supports with them, and you can't charge them up with aims. But they're also like 20 points cheaper than arcs. So... You know, for 74 points, a dice pool that is basically arcs at range three. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, the the way that the tables were set up, I think, really helped me out. There was a lot of stuff, and this is credit to Nick. There was a lot of stuff that was just, like, obviously supposed to be light area terrain. You know, it, like, p- pallet boxes, forests, bushes, stuff like that. And these were all in, like, relevant parts of the table. So I had a lot of games where I was just shooting through light cover and the commandos are great in that situation with their sharpshooter one. So like in my, you asked how my game against the Ewoks went. Uh, I guess I can, I can make a broad theme of this. I don't want to talk about all six of my games, but basically I did, I did really well against the list that I didn't expect to do well against. That being like wound spam slash melee skews. Because the Cassian Han list doesn't, there's no dedicated melee units. The, the skirmishers, the naked skirmishers don't really count. Um, and at least I thought when I built this list, I'm like, I'm going to design this to kind of poke with reliable pierce and critical, but in small quantities at long range to deal with clones, basically. But if that's what the list is good at, then you're going to have trouble against like look at your Ewok spam because while you're going to be able to reliably pick up you know individual models from a distance when you've got to do 90 wounds over the course of a game like you're going to have trouble it turns out at least the answer to that question was that the list just has a lot more firepower than i suspected part of that is just how reliable all the shots are you know even though cassian is only you're doing the two crit thing at unlimited range per turn, like that adds up. But then you're you're not only doing that with Cassian, you're doing it with Chewie, you're doing it with um you know, if if Han can get into the right position, he's picking up two to four models a turn. Uh if they get close enough, K2 can do that. Um <clears throat> you've got your sniper strike, and then the the vets and the commandos, when they're at full strength, which you can keep them that way for quite a while because of Chewie with Protector, like they slap really hard. Um, you know, there were a lot of times where I was just free to sit there and aim with a full vet or commando unit, 
and I was, you know, with the commandos, I was getting four or five, sometimes six hits with the vets. I was getting like six or seven hits and just picking up chunks of entire units at a time with the commandos and the vets, particularly like in that Ewok matchup, you know, if you can shoot through light cover with sharpshooter one, that effectively turns off low profile because you have to have cover after sharpshooter for low profile to trigger. So if you can shoot Wookiees in light cover with sharpshooter one, it doesn't work at all. And there were like several shots where I picked up five Ewoks just in one chunk with the full commando squad. That's so. that's kind of how I found that that game works is you've just got, you're essentially just aim shooting until they get to range two and a half. Yeah. And then you have to kind of do your timings because you can't aim because you need to shoot and step back or shoot and step to the side and make it a little right. more difficult. Yeah. But yeah, I was surprised he... how often I could like fire support turn one, two and not be worried about them getting it or shooting me because they just can't. Yeah, and suppression is a big part of that too. Uh, I actually faced Bright Two Village twice, and in both games, um, I found that I placed almost more of a priority on just suppressing units. And if I killed stuff, it was like a bonus because not being able to pick up that suppression at the end of the turn, even if you have Inspire in the list, which Bright Two Village does, you know, you don't have like unlimited Inspire. And if you're compelling stuff so that they can move forward, that's going to add up too. And it just, I was able to accumulate a lot of suppression on the Ewoks, and it was. There were a lot of times where like an Ewok skirmisher unit would have been able to charge me, but it just had suppression and it couldn't do two actions right? because they were out of range of 3PO or something. So because 3PO, you know, compels only so far of a range and 3PO has three health. So <laughs> at some point, your Ewoks are going to be like too far forward for 3PO to be able to help them yeah. unless you risk getting 3PO killed. So yeah, if you pop them out too early, those, those three health diminish quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the guardian thing is within range one, so you can only you can only fit like one Ewok unit in there to actually do the guardian thing on him. So, and even if even if it were more, you're you know you're basically like cashing in Ewok wounds by shooting three PO because he doesn't have low profile or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I I found that basically I found that the list had a lot more firepower than I thought it did. I also faced a Black Sun list, and Han was. I know I was trashing Han's pistol before packs. It is still mostly bad. It was ridiculous in that Black Sun matchup. I think he killed like 12 Black Sun by himself. Because every shot, you know, like the Black Sun have to be close range. So you're you're more likely to get them out of cover because they're basically a point blank range. Um, and it, you're picking up like two models every time you shoot, which is four models a turn for Han. And you can basically like last first... You do Cassian crack shot. You wait until the latter part of the turn for Cassian to actually do the crack shot, hopefully after you've charged him up with aims from K2. So he's got like five aims. That's not right. Four aims. Yeah, it's four aims. Um, so that's that's often good to just pick up four models. Usually it's like three, but sometimes it's four. And then you go in last with Han with Steady. He picks up two to four models and then you play sorry about the mess and he picks up another two to four models and you know in the in a very Usually tight window <laughs> yeah in a very tight window that's like two whole units typically so uh yeah so the list has pierce 10 which was super good in the black sun matchup it was it was the uh it was a little bit of like a it, it was the lila claire style list so it, it felt kind of good to like do well against the list like that when that's what bounced me for else um but obviously, I was playing something very different too. I was pacing, placing, excuse me, playing a Pierce stacking list with a ridiculous amount of Pierce in it. So that's a totally different, totally different matchup. But 
yeah, it just it had a lot more firepower than I thought. It was not enough against Yoda clones. It Did was you... at oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask about that, but no, my apologies. Yeah, so I played Mike. It was the last game on day one. So it was round four. We were both three and oh. So it was essentially like the first top eight game, if you want to look at it that way. Um we drew the matchup. We were like, well, if you know, we knew this was gonna happen eventually if we both kept winning. Would have been nice if it was later, but round four is fine, I guess. <laughs> so short version, I messed up my change of plans timing. I was not able to cancel Luminous with it. And the reckless diversion thing was helpful for like forcing target selection, but he was still able to kill significant things on that turn he played padme's two pips so he kind of repositioned some stuff to like the opposite side of the line of sight blockers that i was using for reckless diversion and he managed to fire support a vet squad off the table with the cody and a z6 situation so um that wasn't great and then uh, because i wasted change of plans too early in the game i was not able to cancel luminous and then uh, he killed like two more units on that turn that said I still, uh, I killed the full arc unit on the first activation of turn two. And that was before he had killed anything. So I felt pretty good about that. Um, I was also somewhat reliably over the course of the game, kind of dinking and dunking and picking up clones. And like near the end of the game, even though he had kind of those wombo turns, I still had a fair bit left and his clones were starting to look kind of thin. There was a turn where it was a priority roll with, um, I played last stand on Han. Uh, Han had like four wounds on him and I had already played Sorry About the Mess and he played Yoda's two pip. And if Han had been able to go that turn, I think I would have been able to like wipe two more clone units with him, but he won the priority roll and then he killed Han with force wave, which I um, actually forgot was a thing temporarily. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> yeah. Um, Force Wave pretty good into Han because Han is low profile, but Force Wave obviously doesn't care about cover. So, uh, uh, yeah, blast, he, he, blast is strong. <laughs> yeah, he he double Force Waved him. The first Force Wave cleared all the dodges from last stand, and then the second one killed Han. So, uh, that wasn't great. But then even going to turn six, I still had like some paths to victory. We were playing on KP, and I think we were actually tied on activations five to five. Of course, one of his activations was Yoda, um, and he was able to. We actually switched. KPs, I was able to take his home KP, but then he pushed Yoda to my home KP and took that, and then he was able to get the center KP. So he ended up winning 2-1. to one. But he said it was his closest game that he had ever played running Yoda gunline in like 20... I think he was. He said he was like 29-0 and 0 before that game. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, he lost the next game to Sam, so then that became I guess, by definition, his closest game. But um, yeah, it did better than I expected. It didn't do good enough. And I, I think if I had played Han's command cards in better order, which, you know, maybe now that I've had some more practice with Han, I could do, um, it would have worked out differently. But yeah, I like it. It's It did a lot better than, than I expected it to. I don't, I don't know if I would say that Han is good, but he's definitely better than I thought he was. I think he's pretty good against things that are commonly run at the moment. And yeah. even though the unit itself might be still on the weaker side, he plays well against what's what's popular. Yeah, and his command cards are ridiculous. Yeah. I think he might have the best command hand besides Yoda in the game. You could convince me of it. I definitely think that's that's a conversation that could be had. So 
Um, in terms of impact, he's definitely number two. Yeah, I mean, his and his sorry about the mess, obviously, is just a straight priority win. But the other two are cards that like force your opponent to do something that they don't want to do or disrupt their whatever their, their game flow is like, which there's not really they're just very unique effects. So Anything, change of plans. Especially. They remove your opponent's agency, and that's an incredibly powerful tool. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I like it. I might play it some more. We'll see. I don't know. When's your next we'll... tournament? I think that my next tournament is going to be Worlds. I... I feel that pain. Yeah, I signed <laughs> up for LVO, like, you know, whenever the signups went in, kind of as a hedge. Um. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that work. LVO is a great tournament. It's just, it's expensive and it's hard to get to from that's the East I'm, Coast anyway. That's so, why I'm not going this year. It's just too, it's too, it's too much money. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like a lot of the people that I typically travel with tournaments with, you know, you, Mike, some of the other guys um, aren't going. So My. not that there's not going to be other great people there to hang out with. Right. There totally will be. But uh, that's, you know, that's just another factor. My uh, usual crew so, of uh, cost-splitting roommates is not traveling, so <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> right. So yeah, we'll see. Um, it's it's a small possibility, but most likely my next tournament will be Worlds. So what I'm going to be doing in between now and then is going to just be Worlds practice. That's fair. Um, and it's it's actually not a guarantee I can make it to that either, but I won't get into that now. <laughs> uh, so anyway. I don't know. It was fun. It was really fun to play Rebels again. Han is Han Cassian is really fun. The full commandos are great. I would encourage all you Rebel players to try them. That was, that was they were the clear standout for me. The full commandos combined with Chewie. I would never run them without Chewie. No, they're they're too they're too paper thin still. Even after the dodge, or I'm sorry, even after the cover mitigation. Yeah, and when they lose even like one or two models, suddenly their dice pool just kind of sucks. <laughs> They're so, just like a slightly better sniper when they're down to three models, right? And like barely, barely better. <laughs> right. It's you know when when they're down to three models, their dice pool is only four dice. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is it's not good. No, not in this list. Um, no. So I'd even I've tried to think about if I could tr like find a way to fit a medic or something because even with protector commandos still die, and it'd be really nice to have a way to keep them at full strength. So. Mm -hmm. I, maybe I'd, I've considered like cutting the MK2 for two medics because that's pretty close on points. And I just. You would just need another core. Yes. Because I, the skirmisher doesn't count. Right. I'd move I'd move the skirmisher to a rebel trooper probably and just take improvised on hung. That's fair. Uh, and then I'd give, put one of the medics on the rebel trooper probably. But yeah, because MK2 is. Even after playing with an mk2 for six games uh my opinion on them has not changed they still suck <laughs> they're especially horrible in a gar meta because they're just free kill points yeah and the range three like how do you get a cumbersome weapon to range three where it can actually do anything against a republic list like, <laughs> you, you pray you, it saves or that you give them a better target <laughs> right like it, the short answer is you don't yeah <laughs> Like in my match with Mike, I'm like, I can't, there's nothing I can do with this. So I just stood hung out in the back all game. Yeah. It's uh, your back there, capper. <laughs> yeah, there was actually, it was really funny at the end of the game. Uh, I'm like, you know what? Um, there's a weird thing that could happen here because I had my MK2 and he had Yoda and he had not gone with Yoda yet. And Yoda had one wound on him. Uh, sorry, he had four wounds remaining. He had one wound token on him. I'm like, 
and Yoda wasn't heavy cover. So I would have needed four crits. I'm like, what if I just shoot my MK2, get four crits, and then you roll four blanks on Yoda? <laughs> like, that's a thing that could happen. I've seen I've seen it happen before. Yeah. You know? And he's like, all right, whatever, go for it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to aim and shoot Yoda. Bam, four crits. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, did I just will this to happen? But then he only failed one save. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> almost. The, the dream is dead. The dream is dead. <laughs> I got the four crits, though. That was like the coolest thing the MK2 did all tournament. Most of the time it was useless. But That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. All right. Any any final thoughts? No. Um. I think I pretty much said my piece. Ties are dumb. Please give us an actual tiebreaker AMG. Uh, yeah. Nick, thanks as always for a wonderful tournament. Um, I, actually, I don't think I mentioned this. So I do. Uh, Nick put on obviously the whole show uh, as yep. TO. Thanks to Dave for judging. Um, and Nick provided as usual all 32 tables. So crazy. Uh, as you said with the light cover, he's put a lot of work into him over the last yes. six months, kind of updating them to the new rules, trying to make them a little bit better for gameplay. And uh, as someone who plays on them weekly, I think he's struck a nice balance nicely or nice balance lately. And these are by far my favorite balance tables of one of his tournaments I played on. So bravo. Uh, please keep going. You've been amazing. Yeah. In fact, uh, it, this didn't really occur to me until about halfway through the tournament, but I think since the, since the new cover rules were introduced, I think I've, I, th I think they've been least, I don't know what quite, quite what the adjective is. Um, they've been least bad in this tournament and I, I think like i was actually able to get a handful of no cover shots in some of these games and i, I think nick's done a great job of kind of you know making it so that the terrain pieces are more uniform shape um making it so that they're spread out more reducing the amount of scatter adding more area terrain specifically yeah. area terrain that's like cover stuff like that uh i, f I found that i was able to actually like the positioning was a little more meaningful than really any other tournament that I played in with the new cover rules where it's just not meaningful at all yeah. <laughs> as far he's, as lateral positioning is concerned anyway. He, he's been working really hard to remove some of the jankier shape pieces, replace them with more cylindrical height too, so that we actually get that brought into play and then yeah. cut out the scatter and, as you said, make more light cover area instead of heavy cover. And yeah. uh, I think I think he did really well for this event. It was a absolute blast table-wise. Yeah, so Nick, I definitely noticed uh, it wasn't like it it wasn't obvious to me until partway through the tournament, but I'm like, hey, you know what? Like this feels reasonably functional. Mm -hmm. Um like I just I just got like a couple no cover shots. Like what is happening? You know. <laughs> so what is this feeling? Yeah. Um I still don't like the new cover rules and clearly Nick has done a lot of work to make them like reasonably functional with the tables, but yeah. uh yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, great to see everybody. Great job running the tournament, Nick and company. Um, I had a great time, and I got a real Philadelphia experience. So <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we are the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>